When Jenna Cast was nine years old, she was granted a wish by the Make-A-Wish Foundation. She had been battling brain cancer for six years, and she and her family were flown to Utah where she got to meet the cast on the set of High School Musical. But if you asked her when her wish day really was, she would think of a different one. And I still remember as a kid, uh, the, Jenna, the first like, little Jenna party we had, the Jenna, I don't know if they called the Jenna Oh my God. This is her older brother, Brett. But we had a, they had a basically a ginormous like princess party type thing at our church they held for Jenna. St. Anastasia Parish in Troy put on a huge princess party for Jenna at the church, complete with a horse and carriage, red carpet, even Santa Claus. Jenna wore a gown fit for a princess. The event was packed with family and friends from all over the community. The evening opened with a prayer written by then pastor, Father John Ricardo. He thought the princess party that St. Anastasia had done for her, he thought that was her. And this was our friends that had all, the community and our um, our friends had put that party on for her. Um, and it was remarkable that the whole church did really. Um, and. She thought that was her wish. This was what Jenna and her family referred to as a glimpse of heaven. As her health declined in her last months, they made a nightly practice of reflecting on the moments throughout their day that were glimpses of heaven, something she would hold onto with hope as a foretaste of her life after death. Most of the moments were ordinary, getting ice cream with her cousins, going to a movie with her friends, a ball game with her brother or sister, and everything always included other people. Like her glimpse of heaven was never just about her. But this day in particular shined brightest on the list. It was a vision of what for Jenna would be her greatest conceivable heaven, being surrounded by all the people she loved at the church she loved. It was a foreshadowing in a way of her funeral in 2010, when once more throngs of people congregated for her, this time spilling out of the aisles to celebrate remember and pray for this dazzling little girl at her funeral. It was a glimmer of the work that was to become her family's mission, the Jenna Cast Believe in Miracles Foundation, a wish-granting nonprofit for children with life-threatening illnesses. But perhaps the biggest miracle was how Jenna's spirit galvanized the hearts of hundreds in the community to become a powerhouse of support for her family's foundation turning it within a few years of her death to become a prominent Michigan nonprofit with thousands of supporters granting wishes or glimpses of heaven to more than 40 children a year. Welcome to Detroit Stories, a podcast on a mission to boldly share the stories of the people and communities in Southeast Michigan. These are the stories that fascinate and inspire us. This episode of Detroit Stories is brought to you by Weingarts, everything from lawn to snow. Over the years, Weingarts has grown to offer an unbeatable selection of outdoor power equipment, and their experienced service technicians and unmatched parts inventory keep your equipment running like new. Visit www.weingarts.com to shop for your lawn and garden needs and find a convenient location near you. Jenna Cast was born in 1999 the third child of St. Anastasia parishioners Paula and Rick Cast. When she turned three years old, the Cast noticed that Jenna had started limping, a limp that got progressively worse as her right side continued weakening. The Cast soon discovered that Jenna had an ependymoma brain tumor. This is Jenna's mother, Paula. So she 
um, that's when she began her journey um, with brain cancer. Jenna's journey with brain cancer consisted of eight brain surgeries, six week rounds of radiation, and three clinical trials consisting of different chemotherapy treatments. I still, I felt like it was at an age that I didn't fully understand what that all entailed and what that meant. This is Jenna's older brother, Brett. When Jenna was diagnosed with cancer, he was eight, and his sister Nancy was five. So it kind of just quickly happened, and then the next thing you know, you know, eight years of her life was spent in and out of the hospital, going through surgeries, going through chemo. And I think it, it didn't even really settle in until high school that it was a serious illness. It wasn't just Brett and Nancy's age that made it difficult to understand the gravity of Jenna's cancer. It was her whole demeanor. I think that's part of why I think Brett and Nancy both didn't think of her as sick because she was so lively and bounced back so quickly and we were able to, um, you know, enjoy our time as a family. There's things that she missed out on. She didn't wasn't able to go to school and friends were her, you know, that was her lifeline in her family and doing things with people and her cousins. There's a lot of things that she missed and there's the physical pain and there's the fear of the unknown and the anticipation of the fear that's coming of a surgery, things like that. So she, she handled those things. Um, in a way that inspired me. She was just always, uh, I mean, like, talk about someone always trying to play jokes, always trying to make yes. jokes, someone who always had a lighthearted view of life in a sense, um, and especially what she was going through, that was kind of hard to imagine. She spent a lot of time in the hospital, but the way she responded to that and the way she acted all the time was just, she always had a pep in her step, was always excited about everything, um, always looking forward to everything, always had so much joy for life, you just never, never would have guessed. The way she carried herself through life and, and the hand she was dealt, it didn't even bother her. She almost viewed it as a blessing, I think, in a way. I don't want to say a blessing, but like viewed her, that may be the wrong term, but she viewed it as, um, I don't know if you want to, the best way no, to No, yeah, that. she didn't. She didn't. That's the best way um, to phrase it. But. but there were moments in her suffering when I would say to her, oh, Jenna, I wish I could take this from you, or I wish I could do, you know, take this for you. Or, and she would get mad and say, don't say that. I don't want anyone else to have this. I don't want anyone else to go through this. Like she would never, um, you know, if it were taken from her, she would never want, you know, others to suffer that way. Jenna's world was shrunken by her illness to a sliver of what her insatiable appetite for life and activity would have desired. She loved spending time with, um, you know, her family, her cousins, her siblings. She loved sports. She loved going to her older, like to Brett and Nancy sporting events and cheering them on. So then of course she wanted to do what they were doing. So she wanted to play softball and volleyball and, you know, do what her, her sister was doing. And while so many of her hours were spent in the hospital, reclined in a bed, it was even in this narrowed world that Jenna imparted her light. To the nurses with low patience and empathy. Jenna said, what's your name? And she stopped and made eye contact. And she told her her name and Jenna's like, your nails are so pretty. And so the, the woman's whole demeanor changed because when Jenna asked her name, they made eye contact and something happened in that. And then Jenna gave her a compliment and then everything changed. To the valets at the hospital. She would draw pictures for the valet and we'd come out and I didn't even know she did it during the appointment. And we'd come out to get our car and she'd hand them pictures and then Weeks later, I come out and I see him taped to the outside of the valet, you know, when we walk out, some of the colorings that she did. 
Jenna's love and positivity were infectious and doled out to anyone in her path. And it was no secret where the source of this came from. She, um, she had an incredible faith, especially for um, a girl of her age, you know, up until the time of her passing. I mean, her last, especially her last days and her last year, um, she, she just had such an incredible faith. And even in the last days, she had these prayer books that she would pray. And um, when she was bedridden and I would go to turn the lamp off and she'd say, no, no, we didn't say our prayers. We didn't say, and she put a sticky note on top of her prayer book of the people that she was praying for. Um, she had like four special intentions of friends and people that we knew um, that, that she would pray for. While Jenna spent hours in the hospital, her family did as well. And it was during one of those hours when the 10-year-old Brett was sitting in the waiting room that he saw the power of granting a wish. All I remember is that I was often sitting in the waiting room. There was another child who was there receiving chemo, uh, and he was kind of seemed bored in the waiting room, and I would always bring games and stuff to keep, my, you know, keep myself busy too. Uh, so I decided to give him, just give him my Game Boy that I had as, as a, just a gift to something, you know, to help him kind of get through the waiting room. And it seemed like it, it meant more than just, uh, you know, something to keep him busy in a sense, right? It was a, it was a gift that, that went further than that. This sparked an idea for Brett. So uh, talking to my friend at the time, and the Lance Armstrong bracelets were like a huge craze at the time too. And we wanted to like do something that could raise money in some way to help children. So we kind of came up with this idea to, we didn't know if we are going to make bracelets, do like the rubber bracelets, do something. But we wanted to just do a little fundraiser and raise some money. The money would go towards granting wishes for other kids in Jenna's position, battling life-threatening illnesses. Brett's parents loved the idea. They ordered 500 red silicone bracelets, and the boys started selling them everywhere. Their school, in the narthex at St. Anastasia, at sporting events. I think everyone kind of loved this, this story of what we were doing and, and our mission, and uh, just really supported it. And it really was just bracelet sales. It's the only thing we were raising money from at the time. The first 500 bracelets sold quickly, and they had raised enough money to grant the wish of another child at their elementary school who was battling cancer. He had wanted to document his journey with cancer, so Brett and his friend took the money to buy him a camcorder, tripod, and other video equipment. From then on, it kind of just took on a life of its own. I feel like there wasn't much more, like it just kind of all happened. The St. Anastasia, Troy Public Schools, and Troy community at large took the mission of the movement into their own hands. The bracelets were sold next to cash registers at Troy businesses. After the first order of bracelets, donors offered to purchase the next batches of bracelets. Then there was the... The news story first, yeah. That's what yes. really exploded this. So yeah. then, yeah, someone had contacted the news and they did a story on us and then we got a lot of donations and checks written out to Believe in Miracles. Well, two local boys are showing just how big their hearts are tonight with a very special sale. They're selling bracelets to benefit an important cause. So we created a foundation. The Jenna Cast Believe in Miracles Foundation. The cast started getting referrals from local people for wishes and were able to award a couple of wishes a year. As this happened, the fundraising tactics evolved. There was an annual 5K that a religious sister at St. Anastasia organized, a charity dinner called Genebration, golf marathons, an annual ice cream fundraiser hosted at a St. Anastasia parishioner's bookstore. I always say God was the founder because that's not, you know, people say, oh, what a, what a wonderful thing to do in Jenna's memory, but it really never was um, our idea. I, you know, it just, um, I, I think God knew what was needed and it evolved 
into that. It's not like we woke up one morning and said, let's start this foundation. So, um, yeah, it's really, I don't, I don't believe it's our foundation. It's a community foundation. It really is. I mean, Santa Anastasia was a really large reason why I believe Miracles became what it was, I think, too. Like, and, you know, that's kind of where a lot of our original support came from. I mean, it came from our entire community, you know, including our school and everything, but the church was a major part of our community. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, backing up, I mean, they kind of, back, when we had this bracelet idea, they were right there, you know, supporting us and pushing it forward. With the community's support, the Believe in Miracles Foundation was able to grant wishes to two kids each year. Their gifts included trips to Disney World, jungle gyms, playstations, celebrity meetings, professional sports games, even bedroom makeovers. The last fundraiser Jenna was a part of was the annual Scoop and a Prayer event in 2010. She was 11 years old and her health had been steadily declining so quickly, they decided to move the event up a few months. While Jenna had been alarmingly weak in the preceding days, the day of the fundraiser, she was a vision of health empowered by a seemingly supernatural strength, the strength that came from a girl on a mission. The line of people that came um, from church and from our community, I mean, it was out the door of the store, down the, down the side of the strip mall. Um, and Jenna remarkably had the strength to serve all day. That day, Jenna raised a couple thousand dollars, enough to grant another child with a life-threatening illness a wish. Three months later, Jenna died. Her last words given to the community were those of the prayer she had written and handed out with every ice cream order. Dear Lord, please bless me and make me better. I know you treasure me always. I always know you are with me. You are in my heart always. I'm sorry for anything wrong I have done. I try to do everything to please you. Please guide the sick with your light so they will see you and be blessed. After Jenna passed, the foundation boomed. Paula started working there full-time to support the increasing numbers of wish referrals they were receiving from social workers, hospice workers, or various hospitals in light of their growing prominence. They expanded from serving predominantly Metro Detroit children to serving those in Kalamazoo, Grand Rapids, and Traverse City. Today, they grant 40 to 45 wishes a year, as well as helping to cover medical costs or funeral expenses. For Paula, there's one wish in particular that sticks in her mind. There's, there's, there's so many and so many special families, but we did one for a young girl um, that had spent her, really her whole life, childhood in, in cancer treatment in the hospital in Detroit, not children's, a different hospital. And she didn't, her wish was to have a birthday party and the hospital had called and they were trying to coordinate it, but she didn't. She, she said, when we were asking her, like, what do you want at your party? She said, friends. I want kids and friends. Because the only kids, she hadn't really gone to school, and the children that she knew were kids that were in the hospital. And so we planned a party at the radiation waiting room clinic and transformed that room, and our volunteers were remarkable how they put that together. And we got her favorite things, um, like her favorite foods, and um, she loved the movie Frozen. So the hospital staff took their kids out of school, the ones that were close in age, to have more children there for her. And we hired um, the Anna and Elsa, the, um, the Disney you know, princesses. Yes, yes, they did. And 
I did not think, you know, when she came in that day with her mom, we didn't think that she'd be able to um, last for the party. She just did not seem good at all. We bought her a princess dress and a, a crown that we, you know, a friend of ours had sewn it so that it was soft on her head and that um, she was real sensitive. Um, so um, it was just, she lit up and came to life during that party and stood up and sang a Frozen song with the princesses and we videoed it and I, everyone in that room, there was not a dry eye and I don't think anyone that was there would ever forget that day. Um, and it wasn't long after that that she had passed away, but um, it was just a really special day for her and for all of us. There's a mantra that motivates Paula and her family to continue the work to bring these moments to children with life-threatening illnesses. And it goes back to the night Jenna was given news about her cancer. We had received the news that Jenna, Jenna and I were at the doctors and they had told us that she, there was nothing more they could do for her and that she had months to live. And they really wanted to express that to her. And I wasn't um, unsure that I wanted to actually say that to her, but so, I allowed them to come in and tell her that there was nothing more they could do for her anymore. And she was her normal smiley self. And she was just nodding like, okay, you know, whatever, you know, okay. So on the car ride home, um, you know, she was in the back seat and I said, so do you want to talk about, you know, what the doctor was telling you? And she said, no. And I said, do you have any questions? She says, no, I'm fine. I go, well, did you understand what they were saying? And she said, yeah, I understood. They said they can't help me. She goes, but I already knew that God's the only one that can save me. And that was it. She handed me a CD to listen to her music and she was happy as can be. So I was thinking to myself that I wanted her, you know, since this is something that's eminent and she was doing so well, it was hard to grasp because she seemed, you know, healthier than she really was. So I wanted her to have an understanding of where she was going before it was something that was, you know, too hard for her to talk about. And so, um, I wanted her to understand heaven more. So that night I said to her, I explained to her that how um, God gives us glimpses of heaven while we're here on earth, like these moments that you don't, um, you know, you're not worried about yesterday or what's going to happen tomorrow. It's just a really, um, you know, happy moment. And those, that's what heaven's like. And that's, those are glimpses that we could hear. So why don't we tell each other every night what our glimpse of heaven was? So we started doing that and it was just remarkable to me, the things that, the everyday things that she would talk about. We did it for the last six months and it changed my perspective on so many things because we'd have hard days, but I would find during the day that I'd say, oh, this is what I'm gonna talk about tonight. Like this was my moment of my glimpse of heaven. So it made me recognize things differently. But then after she passed, I forgot about that. I stopped doing that and I just didn't think of it anymore. But it all came back to her when they were doing a wish for a teenage boy nearing the end that wanted to go to Lambeau Field to see the Packers play. It was this wish we had turned around in less than five days between the social worker and another um, someone in the hospital staff came together and we had someone donate. They had a friend that had uh, a pilot and he worked for someone that had a private plane and they flew him and his parents out to Lambeau Field to see the game and then flew them back home that night. And he was very ill at the time. He was, he was on hospice at that time or about to start hospice. When I went to visit him, he was very tired and weak. So I started praying that he would just have one of those days that I knew Jenna had had occasionally, like the day we sold ice cream, where there was just unexplainable strength and ability to enjoy the day. So I was praying for that and then it just, 
like a bell went off and I remembered the glimpse of heaven. So I started praying that he would have that glimpse of heaven. And he did. It was a remarkable day for him. They gave, he got assigned football. He met his favorite player. Um, and I know it was a great memory for him and his family. But for me, it was more meaningful because it reminded me to, um, to notice those things in my day, to start going back to the glimpse of heaven. And it reminded me of what our mission is. Like that's truly for me what our mission is at Believe in Miracles is to be a, you know, to provide an opportunity for families to experience a glimpse of heaven. Detroit Stories is a production of Detroit Catholic and the Communications Department of the Archdiocese of Detroit. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of Detroit Stories is brought to you by WineGuards. Everything from lawn to snow. Over the years, WineGuards has grown to offer an unbeatable selection of outdoor power equipment and their experienced service technicians and unmatched parts inventory keep your equipment running like new. Visit www.wineguards.com to shop for your lawn and garden needs and find a convenient location near you.